Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Welcome to the local church. I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. We believe this is the perfect place for imperfect people. To all my church family online, it is not raining today. I know it's a little bit muggy, but I'm still glad that you're with us. All of our church family at Everglades Correctional, we're so grateful that we can worship with you. And everyone here, glad you're here today. Again, I'm Eric, and and today we're continuing this series that we started several weeks ago called Paradoxical. And in this series, we're talking through these seemingly strange paradoxes, these statements that Jesus made. But what is a paradox? I have a few of them today. Here's a paradox. All that I know is that I know nothing at all. You understand that? Doesn't make sense, but all that you know is you know nothing. So do you know that you know nothing? It's a paradox. Or how about this one? This is the beginning of the end. Is it the beginning or is it the end? Because if it's the end, then we're not at the beginning. We're at the end. It's a paradox. Or how about this one? Uh, My wife asked me this question last night that she asked me often in, in our many years of marriage. Some 16 years ago when we started dating, she would ask me this question often. Why do you wear so many layers? I mean, it's like 97 degrees outside. Why do you have a jacket on in the summer? And I've lived by this paradox ever since. I said, you gotta be hot to be cool. (laughs) Some of you are like, what? It's gonna take some time because it's a paradox. A paradox is a seemingly contradictory statement that doesn't make sense, but the more you look into it, the more you study it, you realize that you're seeing things in a way you've never seen before. And so why are we talking about paradoxes in church? It's because if we want to take Jesus seriously, his way and his will, we have to understand that Jesus spoke in paradoxes. Jesus shared a lot of things that were seemingly strange, but were truth that set us free. This is who he is because he's God. And God, because God is God, God does not think as we do. In fact, Isaiah 55, 9, he says this. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God does not think like we do. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, 25, it says, the foolishness of God, God is not a fool. God's never said, uh-oh, or oopsie. But if he ever did, that is still wiser than human wisdom. See, again, Jesus said a lot of things that sounded strange. But as strange as they sound, they are wiser than any philosopher, any human wisdom. But more importantly, they are truth that can set us free. To set us free from the bondage of some of the things that we believe, some of our behaviors. Anyone want to be set free from their thinking today? Amen? His truth has come to set us free from these lies. One in particular that I want to talk about today. Have you, have you noticed that our culture likes to rank everything, right? Like we want to know what's on the bottom, what's at the top, what's the best, what's the worst. And so we rank everything. We have Yelp and Google reviews and we rank toaster ovens and telephones and sports teams. We rank everything, don't we? You know what else we rank? People. 
We rank people. It's just a part of who we are. And I'm not saying like simply stating this very difficult truth to admit that Tom Brady is the highest rated quarterback of all time. It's hard to say that being a Miami fan, but, but I'm, not, I'm not just saying that like we rank people's sports ability. I'm saying that all of us, we have preference to other people. That we show favor to some people over other people, even in our family. Perfect place for imperfect people, right? Yes. Can we just admit that we have favorites in our family? Yes, we do. Okay. If your favorite in your family is here, tell them right now. Say, you're my favorite. <laughs> Look at this. Oh, you're actually doing it. I see people turning to their kids saying, you're my favorite child. Listen, it's the reality. And if you've ever heard, you're my favorite, doesn't it make us feel good? Like we're human. It's part of who we are. We give special preference to certain people. And so God never guilted us about that. But what he did do is he challenged the way that we evaluate. He challenged the way that, that, that not that we judge, but that we evaluate what is important in our life. Today, I want to talk about how to evaluate the way that God evaluates, how to have a system of evaluation like God does, because this is important. It doesn't just affect what we value in other people. What we value in other people affects everything in our life because it determines what we see as valuable. When we say this person is, is the best or this person is admirable or this person has my favor, for what reasons? Because they're wealthy, because they've accomplished a lot, because they're good looking. What we evaluate in other people affects everything because it really is what we see as important in our life. And so the Holy Spirit is asking us today, how are we evaluating? For many of us, it's upside down. The way we evaluate other people is unlike how God does. It, it's backwards. It's upside down. I want to talk about that today. So turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. It'll be up there on the screens or in your app at home. It'll be on your screens also. Matthew 19, 16. Jesus is speaking. It says, behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. And if you would enter life, he says, keep the commandments. The guy says, well, which commandments? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the man said to him, all these I have kept. Do we believe him? All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Basically, I'm perfect. I've done all those things. What else? Give me the next thing on the list so that I can be perfect. And Jesus says, okay, well, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then he gives him this invitation to be the 13th disciple. He says, come and follow me. Verse 22, and when the young man heard this, he went away 
sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. Then Peter said to him in his reply, see, we, we left everything and follow you. What will we have? He asked in, in true Peter fashion, a dumb question. We've sacrificed, we've released everything. What benefit are we gonna get? And instead of saying, Peter, you're a bonehead right now, Jesus answers, because this is important. This has eternal significance and consequence. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I will give you authority. And verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. In verse 30 is key. Let's read this together. It says, but many who will be first will be last and the last first. Let's read it again one more time. But many who are first will be last and the last first. I've titled today's teaching, Last is First. I wanna talk about that paradox. And as we look at this paradox that many who are First will be last, and the last shall be first. I believe that there are three truths that can set us free forever. The first one is this. I want you to write this down. The world values what you've got and got going on. That's how the world ranks. The world ranks and values and evaluates based on what you've got and what you've got going on, what you possess and what you've accomplished. And we just read this passage about this man who is young and he is rich. But Luke gives the same account with a different perspective and it gives another detail. It says that he's not only young and rich, but he's also a ruler. He has some leadership authority. There's been a lot entrusted to him. So we know him as the rich, young ruler. And in our world, that is desirable, right? In our culture today, to, to, be, to be rich, to have so much wealth, and to be young again. Oh, how many of us would love to be young again? Youth is wasted on the young. If I, if I knew everything I knew now, but I was 20 years younger, that would be admirable. That, that would be something desirable. He's a rich, young ruler. He has authority. He, he's a leader over many things. This is what our culture ranks as high, right? And we've seen this. We, we, we see this all the time. Several years ago, I believe in 2017, we got to experience an actual rich, young ruler in Prince Harry. Do you remember that? He proposed to Meghan Markle. And all the women of the world, they were envious of Meghan Markle. And all the men of the world, they, they wanted to be like Prince Harry. Why? Because he was the world's most eligible bachelor, he was rich. He had the, the wealth of an entire kingdom behind him. He was young, although he was bald. He was young, and he was ruling as a prince. He was Not only that, but he was athletic. He was admirable. He, he, he had a lot of accomplishments. This is what the world ranks as important. 
This is high on the list of accolades. Rich, young, ruler. And this rich, young ruler that, that we are reading about, he was a man very much like Prince Harry. But he left this encounter with Jesus, the Bible says, as sad and sorrowful. The world may have ranked him very high, but he left this encounter with the creator sad and sorrowful. Now, I want to pause there, okay? And I'm not trying to lay the guilt on to people, but that should leave a lot of us a little bit unsettled. There's a lot of us in here that, that the world ranks us pretty high. I mean, you are, you are hot and you're cool. You're not being hot because you're trying to be cool. Like, I'm very hot right now. The lights are hot. Some of you, you rank very high. You're good looking. You're wealthy. You, you, you get everything that you want. That should leave us a little bit unsettled that this man who had everything, this man who, who had all the prestige, who got the promotions that he wanted, who, who, who produced so much in his life, that got all the perks, everyone's posting about him on social media. This should leave us unsettled that he left sorrowful. Why? Because when God looked at him, even though the world said, man, this is something to achieve. God's saying, you're not even at square one in my kingdom. You think you're first. You're last. Why is that? Because that leads us to the second truth. I want you to write this down. God values how and who he created us to be. That's how God ranks. That's what God values. That's how God evaluates. God values how and who he's created us to be. God's ranking system isn't based on what you've done, what you've accomplished, or who you are. It's based on who he is and what he's done, right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to someone. Don't turn to your favorite person. You've already made them feel good. Turn to the person that's your second favorite or third favorite, but definitely not your first. I want you to look them in the eyes right now, and I want you to say confidently, God don't make no junk. You're not junk, okay? You're not my firsts, but you're not junk because God doesn't make junk. Amen? His value system is who he is and what he's done. And right before this, right before we see this interaction with this rich young ruler, immediately before this, this is what we read. Matthew 19, 13. It says, then children were brought to him that he may lay hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked the people. I want you to picture this in your mind. There's all these moms and their dads. They're bringing their children to Jesus so he can lay hands and bless them. But what are the disciples doing? They're acting like bouncers. They're saying, no, get away. He doesn't have time for you people. He doesn't have time for you little kids. Why would the followers of Jesus think that he didn't want to deal with little babies? That he had no time for, 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 for the little snot-nosed little, little, little kids who can't communicate. He, he doesn't have time for you. Get away. Why would they think that? Because in that culture, children didn't have value especially babies, they didn't have value. Now today in 2022, babies and children have a whole lot of value. How do I know that? Just look around. 
all the thousands of things that we do to promote babies. We have whole stores dedicated to babies. We have so many different lines of diapers. There's a crisis going on. We have no formula for the babies. We have toy stores. We have blogs. We have movies. We have YouTube channels all dedicated to babies because they have so much immense value in our society today. And when something significant like what happened in Uvalde, Texas occurs, our hearts collectively break because those children's lives had such immense value. And even today with all the conflict of of women's rights and when is a baby a baby, the latest poll in America shows that two-thirds of people in this country still believe that a fetus is a living human being, that it's important. And of course we believe this because God's word shows us that that even before we were in our mother's womb, he, he had visions of us being, that we were made on purpose for a purpose, that we are loved and he knows us by name. And as God's people Because children matter to him, because babies matter to him, babies will matter to us. But in that that first century Palestinian culture, they, they didn't have the value. Babies didn't matter. And little children were very low on the social scale. So what does Jesus do? Jesus shows his kingdom's values. Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And don't hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And then he's more than just words. He's more than just posting positive statements on on Instagram. He does something about it. He lays hands on them, and then he continued on in his ministry. In other words, what you rank as low, I see incredible value at. You look at these children, you think they're nothing, But they are first. They are what the kingdom is about. These little ones have so much value. Now I want you to think about in terms of what we just read happened immediately afterwards. We have this rich young ruler and we have these little children and they are polar opposites. The rich young ruler, he asks, what must I do to inherit? Because that's been his life. I've accomplished so much in this life. I'm bringing so much to the table. I'm good looking. I have a chiseled jaw. I tell people to fetch my slippers. They do it. I have so much money. I can pay for all these meals. You don't have to get it from a little kid. Like, what must I do for you, Jesus, so I can inherit eternal life? He's coming with so much to bring. But these little kids, they have nothing, do they? They have no value. They have no possessions. They have no accomplishments. They're polar opposites. And what Jesus is saying is that what what the world, what the culture, how we evaluate and rank people, what we see as the greatest, he sees as the least. But those that our culture, that our evaluations deem as worthless, as unvaluable, he sees as invaluable. He sees a masterpiece that's worth everything. We have these polar opposites. And Jesus, he's trying to get us to see, to reevaluate how we evaluate people. 
The disciples, they couldn't get this. They couldn't understand that, that what the world and their culture in that time ranked as high that Jesus thought was worth less. And so they're, they're blown away by this paradox. So he has a conversation with them. Verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples afterwards, he says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. This was such a radical concept in that time. Because to them, they believed that rich people were rich because they had God's favor. They were rich because they had God's blessing over their life. They believed that rich people were God's favorite. They, they were flabbergasted when Jesus said, no, no, no. It's actually very difficult for them to inherit my kingdom. They don't know what to do with this. And so he tells them in verse 24, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? You know, in America, we are rich. I don't care what tax brackets you are in compared to the rest of the world in abject poverty, people living on less than a dollar a day. We are the rich ones in this world. And it's so difficult, only with difficulty will the rich inherit the kingdom of heaven. And just like the disciples, many of us are like, well, then, then who can be saved? What Jesus says next is key. Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, with God, all things are possible. In other words, I want you to hear this. Entering God's kingdom has nothing to do with what we have accomplished or what we can do. It's all based on what he has done and who he is. So that leads me to this next big idea. Let me say it's another way. The world ranking system is based on good works and great accomplishments. What the world values in people is all the things that you have done that we can celebrate and all the resources you have at your disposal. Good works, great accomplishments, Look at all the, 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 the placards on your wall. Look at all the commas in your bank account. Look at all the followers on social media. They have so much value. But God's ranking system is based on grace. Say grace. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God's. You didn't help around the house more than your sibling, but God favors you. You weren't the first one to graduate college in your family, but God favors you. You don't deserve it. You cannot earn it, but he still gives it to us. This is how God places value. See, again, this rich young girl, he had so much going for him. He's like, why do I need grace? I don't need grace. I've got it by myself. I've got all the money. I can call people to serve me. So why do I need grace? And like many of us, he missed the point that this life isn't everything. That your life here 
on this ball of dirt called earth is only a small insignificant fraction of your existence for all eternity. It's not just about this life. It's not just about how you can perceive yourself to other people. There's eternity in the balance. And we forget that so often. And we, we forget God's value system so often that he constantly has to remind us of it. In the Old Testament, part of the Jewish history, we find that, that God wants to call a new king over his people, Israel. So he calls his prophet Samuel. He says, I want you to go to Jesse's house, and I want you to find and I want you to anoint the next king over my people who will lead with my heart. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's house. He tells Jesse what's going on. Jesse calls seven of his sons down, and the first one to walk in is his son, the firstborn son named Eliab. He's tall. He's good-looking. He has a chiseled jaw. And Samuel's saying, this is the one. I mean, if you've ever experienced someone tall and good-looking, whether it's a man or a woman walking through, it, it garners everyone's attention, right? You're like, wow, man, God has favor on that person. Look at that jawline. Look at his posture. My goodness, his face is symmetrical. And how, how does that work? Samuel's saying, Eliab's the one. And God rebukes him. God rebukes him. Why? For Samuel 16, 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on his height or on his stature because I've rejected him. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Man looks on just what he can see with his eyes and think with his mind, but God sees what's inside. Why this correction? Because Samuel is evaluating based on the wrong standards, not based on God's standards. God's standards are totally different. And so if you know the story, you know that, that he sees those seven. He rejects those seven. Says, is there another one? He says, yeah, I, I have this other son named David, but he's nothing. He's the last born. God says, no, he's first. He may be the smallest. He may be the least. He may be the last. But to me, he is first. And I love that. I love that story because that, that's, my, that's my story. That's been my that's been my, 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 my story ever since I decided to serve Jesus with my life. At a young age of 16, I said, you know what, I, just, I want to be a pastor one day. And I started getting involved in my church, my Korean church, but I'm a half Korean person. And they overlooked me often because I was half-blooded. They said, no, we're going to give preference to those who are full Korean to lead our full Korean children. And I was overlooked. And then when I went to a multicultural church, I was overlooked often even in that place. I started in the mail room, but all I wanted to do was serve God in ministry. And Pastor Johnny can attest to this, that people are saying, no, he's not the one. He's not married. He doesn't have the education. He doesn't have the experience. Just keep him in the mail room. And then after serving faithfully for many years, someone saw value in my life. Someone chose to look beyond the surface of the Asian guy who's wearing a lot of layers and has very big hair and says, I believe God's called them to be a pastor. But even, even then, 
the leadership of the church said, no, not him. Have you seen him? One guy even said, and I quote, he will burn the church down. He doesn't know what he's doing. (laughs) I've been overlooked my entire life. And this is why this paradox is so powerful to me, because it's personal. When I understood that when God sees, he doesn't see the outward appearance. He doesn't see how many layers you've put on. He doesn't see the hair. He doesn't see the accomplishments or the degrees. He sees his potential in the hearts of his people. That's how he evaluates. That has become the driving force behind why we do what we do and how we do it here at the local church. God's word says in John 7, 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right, with righteous, with God's judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, 16, it says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Can I tell you, we all judge. Perfect place for imperfect people, right? You're gonna judge people, period. Doesn't matter how spiritual you are, you're gonna see something, you're gonna think something, and you're gonna judge people. It's just who we are. The judgment is not wrong. In fact, the judgment is right. People say, the Bible says do not judge. The Bible says judge, okay? We are supposed to judge, but what makes our judgment unrighteous often is how we say it out loud, how we don't have the heart of God in that. So the problem isn't judgment, the problem is evaluation. We're going to judge people, but are we evaluating how we make our judgment the right way? Are we simply judging based off of what we see, what we think, the color of their skin, where they grew up, what school they went to, did they go to school, how much money do they have, their past Or are we looking with the heart of God to see their heart? Are we only judging based off of what we see and what we think and what's on the exterior? Or are we learning to see what is within like God does? And if we can learn to live out this paradox that the last will be first, how will that change us? How will that change the way that we live individually as God's people? First of all, when it comes to relationships, we're going to get far beyond all these surface-level relationships. These relationships that are only clicks and likes that are based on what can you do for me? Because we're going beyond simply what we see on the surface. And we're going further beyond that to, to heart, to collective mission, to what God has called us to. We'll find ourselves having friends and relationships that are built beyond only what we see and beyond what we experience. We'll find relationships built on the kingdom and God's heart and what he wants to accomplish. I want to read this passage very carefully, okay? Proverbs eleven twenty two. It says, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Now, I'm going to be very careful how I say this because I'm married and uh, there's a lot of women here. I'm not afraid of your husbands. I'm afraid of you. Uh, So picture this. You're walking and you see a gold ring on the floor. You're like, oh, that's nice. And you go to grab and you feel it. This is gold. And then you pull it and you hear like, well, what is this? 
all of a sudden you realize it's attached to, to the snout of a pig. I mean, it's snotty, it's disgusting. There's a pig attaches. Now all of a sudden what you thought had immense value isn't as valuable anymore, is it? It's not as beautiful as you thought it would be. And the Bible says in Proverbs that this is what it's like for a man to be with a woman who has no discretion, who has no wisdom, who only sees what's on the outside. You, you, you look immediately just at the outward appearance and you think it's beautiful and has value and you grab a hold of it. But over time you realize this isn't beautiful. This is messy. This is disgusting. This is a pig. Now again, this goes both ways, okay? I want you to understand that. It's not just men with women. It's women with men. You know, there are some men who have a six-pack and, you know, and great facial features and drive fast cars and have a lot of money that are as dumb as a doornail and as shallow as a puddle of mud and as mean as a wild pig, okay? Amen, ladies? So how are we judging? How are we evaluating this goes beyond just our relationships with, with, with dating or marriage. This is about our friendships. More importantly, this is about our relationship with God. How are we evaluating? How are we seeing things? The better question, though, is how does God see us? See, we're going to judge. We're going to make judgments. We all have our prejudices that's just how we are as imperfect humans. So before we can see others with the eyes of God, we have to ask, how does God see me? When God looks at me, what does he think? This rich young ruler, he, he asked a question, what good must I do to get eternal life? And there's this assumption behind this question that there's something that I can contribute to it. Because this is how he's lived his life. I've done things. I've accomplished them. The spiritual realm must be the same. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is helping him to understand and helping us today to understand that it's not what you must do. It's not what you bring to the table. It's who he is. It's what he's done for us. It's his freedom. It's his grace. It's what he's done. This is why he asked this man to, to give up your money. It wasn't about, you know, sell everything you have and get rid of your money because money is bad. That's not what it was. But as long as he trusted in his money, he would not trust in Jesus. So what are we trusting in? What are we holding on to? What do we believe is going to get us through what we're going through? What are we trusting in? You know, I look across this room, and, and I'm so honored to be a pastor here in this church. And I love you guys. And obviously, I, I want people to like me, and I don't want to shoot people off. So I'm saying this because it needs to be said, but I'm, I'm saying this with love in my heart. Some of you in here, you rank so high in the world's standards. Some of you, you're very wealthy. 
Some of you are very good looking. We look at you and we're like, God, man, really, Lord? Why, why'd you make them that good looking? <laughs> Some of you, you, you have responsibility over things that we could never imagine. I'm not saying that's wrong. But what I am saying, what God is saying, is that it's so much easier to trust in what you have rather than who has you. That's when it becomes a problem. Not that you're rich, not that you're good looking, not that you're young, you young people. Oh, don't waste your youth. It's when you place your trust in who you are rather than who he is and what you can do rather than what he's already done. And so today he wants to set us free. In both of these stories, in both of these examples, there's one truth that will set us free. He tells a rich young ruler, sell all that you have, let go, release what you are trusting in, and then he says, come follow me, right? And right before that, he told the disciples, don't let those kids keep from coming to me. Let the children come to me. The key, the next step for every single one of us is to come to Jesus, and don't come with him with your hands seemingly full of, uh, do you know what I've done? And do you know how much I've given? And do you know how long I've been a Christian? And, and how long I get things right? And my GPA in high school, my net worth. Don't come empty-handed with nothing. Lord, I have nothing except my life. And it's there that we experience grace. It's where he releases and gives to us everything we need. And that's where we find that the powerful paradox is true, that the last will be first. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.